Well, hello and welcome. I'm so glad you could uh, tune in with us today and wherever you're watching from, uh, whatever part of the world, we speak God's blessing to you today and we trust that as uh, we continue in our series of uh, soul health that you'll be mightily blessed and, and uh, helped along the way. You know, in, our spirit, in the series of Spirit of Understanding, we've been looking at the whole issue of soul health and uh, what are the benefits and the implications of developing soul health? And it's so important that you and I have a good soul. And, um, and I trust that what you have been learning and what you've been listening, it's challenging you to adjust. It's challenging you to learn and relearn and unlearn because if we don't do that, then we're always going to have issues of the soul. And very often it's the issues of the soul that begin to suppress the spirit man within you and the spirit dynamic. And I know and as we've been teaching this, there are many viewers we have. We have in Bulgaria, Switzerland and, and Romania. And of, of course, obviously, UK and inside the Dream Center. So we want this series to really minister to you and to reach out to you. And all I ask is that you bow your head with me right now. I'm just going to pray as I speak, speak into the camera that your heart will be ready to receive what God has to say to us today. Whatever you're watching in the world, God is about to speak to you. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, Lord, that you'll use my voice. You will use this message, oh God, to come into the homes and into the hearts of those who are watching today. Father, that your kingdom will come. Your will will be done in heaven and on earth. Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want us to observe if we will, through the life of David, just uh, go to Psalm 30, verse 5. Let's look at what David observes about the one he loves. And, you know, it's interesting, before we go to that psalm, uh, David is looking for deliverance as he prays this psalm. And he thanks God for various deliverances he's had in the past and uh, from the great danger that he's been placed in. David's life was always placed in danger. He always had enemies on his left and on his right. And his life was in a complete battle. And uh, he calls upon the, the saints in this psalm to begin to remember God and to give thanks to God. Because he knows the, that God's deliverance is so, so important for his own soul. And he, uh, he begins to bring the people together to remember the, what God has done because he wants to present the people holy and he wants to get, present the people ready. And he tells us, uh, by looking in this psalm, he tells us that the, how his mind was affected and how his soul was affected during those battles and those issues. Yeah, just like yours and mine is affected. He begins to give us a glimpse into how he felt during those moments. So let's go to Psalm 30, verse 5. And the first thing we see this is, and he starts talking about the Lord. And he says, for his anger lasts only a moment. But his favour lasts a lifetime. Aren't you glad that God's favour lasts a lifetime? He says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And he says, when I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. How many times have you said that? I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was, I was totally dismayed. So let's look at the range of his emotions in this prayer he says anger lasts for a moment now he's talking about God he says his anger lasts for a moment now anger is something that's projected it has an outburst and it leads to an action now he, he, he recognizes that God's anger 
lasts for a moment. So we know that even our God has the emotion, has emotions, and he has love and he has anger. But notice here that how God uses his anger and how long it lasts for. Let's just go through this prayer. He says, his anger lasts for a moment, he says, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Aren't we glad that God's anger doesn't last longer than his favor? His favor lasts longer than his anger. Now, it says, now, if favor lasts for a lifetime, that means his kindness, his love, his heart is towards us, and it shows favor on those it seek, he, who seek him. So this is, then he says this, weeping may remain for a night. Now, weeping is an emotion. Weeping comes from the soul. It comes from our emotions. So weeping suggests that there is a time, a period of time when the soul is saddened. It's a period of time when your soul and my soul become affected. He said, weeping remains for a night. In terms, there's deep sorrow, there's anguish of heart, and it says it lasts for a night. It's a period of time. It's not necessarily a 24-hour period or a 12-hour period. It's a period of time when weeping remains. And then he says, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So for every negative, there is a positive lifting the soul out of its slumber. So we get anger, but then we get favor. Then we get mourning, then we get rejoicing. Rejoicing, it's a time for expression and happiness to be released. Then it says this, when I felt secure, now watch this, when I felt, there's the word felt, there's the soul, emotions, my mind, my, my spirit, my, my uh, emotions, when I felt, now f- feelings are the very things that can be positive and negative. But he says, when I felt secure, I said. So in other words, feelings then cause us to make confessions. Fish, uh, feelings, sorry, cause us to make confessions and declarations. He says, when I felt secure, I said, I'm never going to be shaken. Now, when you're Confident when you feel secure and it means you're safe, it means you feel confident, it means you feel guarded, even despite what's been going on. But yet the trouble with that was when I felt secure, I said, think about this for a moment. The problem with that statement is it's circumstantial. Things can change. So when I don't feel confident... Am I going to make the same declarations? Am I going to make the same confession? Or is, if things change, do I now make a different confession? He says, Lord, when I felt secure, I said I'll never be shaken. And then he says this, Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. So in other words now, I have terra firma, I have a strong platform where I am now confident, I feel secure, I can make declarations. Now, when your soul comes into health, the very thing that God wants to give you is a mountain to stand on. God wants to give you strong terra firma, so to speak. He wants to give you ground so that you can stand firm and upright and make some declarations that you don't make when the opposite is being experienced in our lives. So Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. Now what he's saying here is, I recognise, and I'm giving God recognition, 
of his steadfastness in my life. I know that when things are going well with me and God, the ground beneath my feet becomes stronger and more firm than when things are not going right with me in my relationship with God or things are not going right within my, my own emotions. I know that the ground under me seems very, very fragile. You see, when the soul is not in a place of good health, the ground around us becomes very suspect. But when we feel confident, when we feel in control, when we feel in charge of our life, how much more we can, we can pick up the pace in our life because we're not walking under fragile ground. And he says this, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now watch this. All the way through this prayer, it's a negative, a positive, a negative, a positive, a negative, a positive. So anger lasts for a moment, but your favour lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. But when, and Lord, when you favoured me, you make my mountain stand firm. But what's this? But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So one minute he's on the mountain, it's all circumstantial. But do you know what? The truth is, much of our life is based around circumstances and how we respond to them. Because every day life will throw circumstances, it'll throw situations, and it'll throw issues at us. And that's okay, because that's part of life. Now sometimes that happens all in one day. Other times that happens over a period of a week, period of a month, whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is how it makes us feel and how we respond when those things are coming at us at 100 mile an hour. David realized that he had emotions within him. And if you were under the pressure like David was under the pressure, and some of you are, then it causes you to sway. Now, David was a man that felt rock bottom and then he felt he was stood on a high mountain. But you know, that's, that's fair because that's how most of us have been in our life when we've gone through trouble. We felt like the world has fallen out. They said the bottom of our world has fallen out from under us. And then all of a sudden we feel God supernaturally has put it all back together again and we're standing. We need to stand on the mountain. We need times in our life where we're stood on the mountain. We feel confident. Why? Because it tells us and teaches us the way back. When life isn't like that, we know we can trust on one who is stronger than I. You know, when we run into the high tower of God, we know that God's favor is there. But we have to teach our soul the way to that place. This is so, so important. So in verse 5, it says, his anger lasts for a moment. So, but what I like about this is, watch this. This is a picture of God. Now you and you and me are becoming like our father. We're becoming like our Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Watch this. If God's emotion only lasts for a moment, do you know what it tells us? That God is self-controlled. God controls his anger so that he's not, so wi he's not wild where he does irreparable damage. See, when you and I get angry, and if we don't control it and put, an, and put a lid on it, we always go too far. But God's controlled. When God's angry, he speaks, he acts, and he does whatever pain is inflicted or felt, it's done strategically. It's never done too much, too less. It's always measured. That's what I like about God. His anger, the emotion that God displays are self-controlled. 
They, uh, they carry a sense of order and they carry focus. Now, can you imagine? It's not wrong to be angry. What gets us in trouble is when there is no boundary or no control on our anger. And if we don't control our anger, it then become, it can become abuse. We say things we don't want to, we shouldn't have said. And then we find ourselves, the, the human soul pushes this anger through and it just destroys people and reduces people. And we say things we wish we, wish we hadn't have said and then all of a sudden we're in trouble. But God is not like that. He deals with you and I justly. He's got a rein on his anger. Thank God for that. God never lets a temporary outburst cause him to bring permanent damage. God never ever lets a temporary outburst become a permanent damage. You and I, when we say things we wish we hadn't have said, we let our temporary outburst bring us to the point where we say things and it can become a permanent damage in the hearts and minds of other people. And we create irreparable damage. But God isn't like that. Why? Because God in his emotions is measured, is calculated, is controlled. And that's how he wants you and I to be. He wants you and I to have good soul health so that we can control our emotions to the point where they become healthy things, not damaging things. So, if God can control his emotions, can you say the same? (laughs) He doesn't treat us as our, serves, as our sin deserves. Why? Because he's measured and he's controlled. But in his love, his love is greater. His love shields us. So let's go to verse 6. Look at David's human emotions and his perceptions of life and, and, and of his trouble. And we can see how intently he's experiencing this roller coaster of emotions inside this small portion. I could have taken you to so many other Psalms. Where David's emotions, I was down and now I'm up and I'm down and now I'm up and now I'm level. And it's almost like he's singing, when I'm up, I'm up. When I'm down, I'm down. Some days I don't know if I'm up or down. And, you know, that's just so like, just that's very much like you and I. He says, I felt secure. I said, I felt secure. There's nothing greater in life when the person says, I feel secure. You know, our marriages, our partners should feel secure in our arms. Our children should feel secure under our care. Our parishioners, congregational members should be secure under our leadership. The people of our nation should feel secure under the the leadership of a government. That's the ideal, but that's not always the reality. God wants us to feel secure. He said, David said, I'll never be shaken. Well, as we read in other Psalms, then we know that he was shaken. But at that moment, he felt, I'll never be shaken. He felt the strength of God coming into him. It's amazing, you know, that when we feel secure, we feel we can take on any giant in any battle. And the moment we have doubt or we feel the opposite, we feel insecure, we feel so weak, double-minded, and there's the problem. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Where does this instability, where does this double-mindedness come from? It comes from inside, inside voices speaking to us. So, feelings can be circumstantial. They can be fleeting. They 
over-exaggerate, they hyper-inflate our perception, they fog and distort our perception. They do. So, and, they, and when they do that, it clouds our conclusions. So let's go to Psalm chapter 30, verse 8. He says, let's continue that psalm. He says, to you, O Lord, I cried. Now, there is the pinnacle. When you recognize the weakness in your own soul, a good place to cry to is to you, O God. A good place to cry is to you, O Lord. I called to the Lord. I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. Wow. What a shift. My wailing now turns into dancing. What a shift he's had in his soul. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. You see, it's so important that you get your praise going. It's so important that you get your mind and your heart towards, focused towards praising God. Why? Because the soul will have you in misery. And the soul loves company I should say, the soul that's in misery loves company. But your spirit loves the presence of God. So when, our, when we're faced with this kind of issue in our soul, we have to choose and tell ourselves, I need the presence of God, or I can self-wallow in self-pity, and my soul can minister to me all day long. But all the soul will ever do is tell you lies. It'll tell you how you feel, and why you should feel like that, and feel justified in feeling like that. But praise is an act of the will to say, you know what? I shouldn't be feeling like this. I don't feel like praising God, but oh my soul, I will praise the God. And that's when your spirit has to say, hey soul, shut up and get into alignment. We are going to praise the Lord. This is why you must find that place in God, because your soul will, oh, will have its own praise party. And he says this, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. See, there's the key, not be silent. You see, if you're going to address your soul, your praise cannot be silent. Your soul, your spirit, I should say, needs language. Why? Because when your soul hears what your spirit is proclaiming, the soul loses, listen to this, it loses its argument. The soul will say, you shouldn't be praising God. You shouldn't be thanking, that's, uh, thanking God because that's not how we feel right now. But when your spirit's taking the lead and it's saying, oh soul, be quiet. Oh soul, why be so downcast, oh soul? All that is within me, let me praise his holy name. Your soul has to follow your spirit. Your soul doesn't want to make that journey. It says, no, let's stay here. Let's wallow in self-pity. But your spirit has to be in charge. I have to, I'm going to keep saying that to you in this series because your spirit man has to be the voice over inner contention. He says this, David says this, verse 12, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Now this is the condition of David's heart. I'm going, I've been, I know what it's like to be, to be wallowing self-pity, but my soul is going to be in charge and I'm going to give you thanks forever. Isaiah 26, verse 9. Watch this now. Last week we talked about this in, in part, and I just want to add another thing to this dimension about sweet sleep. 
Isaiah chapter 26, verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. Now watch this. Watch how he flicks in his language. My soul yearns for you in the night, and in the morning my spirit longs for you. At the night time my soul speaks, but in the morning my spirit. Now what happened to David from his soul to his spirit? There was a transition that took place and is taking place. So at night time you go to bed with the worries and the cares of the world. Now remember what we said. How you go, what you go to sleep with, the condition that you go to bed in, in other words, your mind and your soul, will determine the sleep you have and it will determine the rest you have. And how your spirit can be recharged in the middle of the night. Now, if I go to sleep and I empty my, my, my troubles, how do I do that? By talking to the Lord. I can yearn for God in the middle of the night. Now, in the middle of the night, God begins to speak to my spirit and begins to download in my spirit. So when I wake up the next day, he wakens me morning by morning and he gives me a word that... By inclining my ear, he gives me a word that to sustain the weary. And sometimes it's me who's the weary one. Sometimes it's you who's the weary one. So in the middle of the night, my spirit yearns for you in the night. And in the morning, my spirit longs for you. When judgment come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. My spirit longs for you. You know, I can often say many times I go to bed at night and before uh, I go to sleep, my sp- I notice that my soul starts yearning for God. And I start thinking about God and I start putting a prayer when I'm in my bed. And I'm saying, Lord, do this in the middle of the night, Lord. Sow something into, into me in the middle of the night. So when I wake up, Lord, give me a dream, Lord. I want to hear your voice. And, I'm, I'm, and my soul begins to cry out to the Lord. And I often when I wake up in the morning, my spirit has received what my soul cried out for. Because not everything in the soul is necessarily bad. Your soul can cry out for more of God. But then my spirit man, God began to impart into my spirit so that when I wake up in the morning, the first voice I hear is my spirit and not my soul. Wow. So, when key uh, pandemics take place or anything that is major, major disasters or whatever, when, when those things take place in this world, very often people... The cynics turn and say, these are judgments. Now, there's no way of knowing half of the time whether it's a judgment or not. But, you know, sometimes when things of this nature take place on a nation, it can turn the hearts of a people either towards God or away from God. And those who, those who find that things turn them towards God, they begin to cry out to God and they begin to find God in ways that they never would have found had that situation took place. What's going to happen in the nations of the world in the next six months, it's already happening now, is an economic pressure. Europe right now is finding an economic recession. It's going to get hard, folks. It's going to get hard and it's going to affect the minds and the soul of a nation you're going to find that the media is going to get more and more negative. You're going to find 
the people in society are going to become more and more depressed. And you're going to find that over the nations of the world, there's going to be a cloud of negativity. Why? Because people's situations are changing due to the economic climate. And when it's being bombarded through the media, GDP's fallen, GDP, so many people are losing their jobs. This psychology then begins to affect the soul of a people. Now, equally speaking, God can use that because people now become open for new things. And equally, people begin to reach out. And at that point, God can speak to the nation of a people and speak to the hearts of a people. We must be very careful in this time that we do not let our soul be captured by the media. So if our spirit is not, if, sorry, if our soul is not going to be captured by what's going on in the media... Right now here in Britain, they're already predicting 3 million people to have lost the jobs by, you know, in, in the next coming months. Now that's a speculation and that's a projection that may never happen, but yet that's what people hear. So all of a sudden now people are saying jobs, jobs, jobs are going, so people won't, people won't spend, people won't buy, blah, blah, blah. And it affects the psychology and all of a sudden we feel like we're being pushed and pushed and pushed back. Now all of a sudden on top of that we're also now beginning to take this new adventure called Brexit. That in itself is going to create pressure. So we as Britons, we could find that this cloud of despondency settling over the nation could make us very negative. But you have to watch your mind and your soul that it does not enter into you. Praise the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. You can't affect what's going on to some degree, but you can affect how it makes you feel. So you must protect yourself and you must protect your family. Do not become so taken away by what uh, the government is saying. You must... Move, be moved by what you know and by what heaven is declaring over your life. So we see the spirit and the soul. Your spirit and your soul must form a healthy partnership. They cannot live separately. They must form a partnership and the spirit must be the leader. The soul must be the follower and the body must carry the spirit and the soul. The body is the carrier. <clears throat> you must sort this order out within you once and for all, or you will be led astray by your soul. Now, remember what I said last week. I said if you're going to bring your soul into, into a place of health, you need four key things. You need rest, you need peace, you need order, and you need harmony. These must all become residential within you. Now, your inner spirit man must lead because the spirit man carries the God consciousness. The spirit, let me say that again. The spirit must lead because it carries the conscience of God. The soul does not carry the conscience of God. Anything that comes through into your soul gets absorbed by the emotions. But the God consciousness must start the process. So if this partnership is going to come, the spirit must always be active and it brings the soul. Hey, soul, listen to what God is saying to us. So now the spirit begins to speak. The soul comes into alignment to a point and, uh, and the spirit now begins to speak. And the God consciousness begins to dictate and begins to guide and steer our emotions and how we should think and how we should feel about what we think. So, my spirit longs, he says, my spirit longs. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. My soul yearns, said Isaiah 26. 
But I'm going to take you now to Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. He said this. Your spirit must long for some things. It must long for rest. It must long for peace. It must long for order. And it must long for harmony. And there's things you and I must do in order for that to take place. It's right for me, says the writer of Philippians. It's right for me to feel this way. Feel, feel. It's right for me to feel this way. So he's not ignoring his feelings, but he's focused with his feelings. What? It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you. See how his, his soul and his emotions, so his spirit's leading his soul, and now he has the right affections, the right measure the right focus on these people is pure and it's good and it's wholesome. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. So you can see this man's spirit is in charge and how it puts other people before itself. I long for all of you. Now I can say I have longed to see many of you during this pandemic. I'm enjoying, by the way, standing here each week speaking to you through the camera and I know when the camera gets switched off and we go back to meeting, we'll lose some of our international uh, followers. But however, my responsibility is to you, the Dream Center, at this point in time. And I long for some of you with the affection of Christ. I long to see how you've progressed in my absence. You know, this absence is good. This absence is very good because it's testing the foundation of your life and my life. But let's pick up verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound and more in knowledge and the depth of insight. So listen to what he's saying. His soul and his spirit are pushing in the same direction for the benefit of those who are listening and receiving his message. Just as I've been standing praying for you, those who are watching me. For those in the Dream Center who don't watch me, this message is not for them. But for those who listen and incline their ear. I want you to know we've been praying for you and I've been standing that this very thing that Paul's saying, that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So that you may be able to discern. Now last week we talked from Proverbs 13, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21 to 25, we said, as we read that scripture, that we saw three words. We saw the word sound judgment. We saw the word discernment. And we saw the word, um, it's, sorry, I can't find it now. I'm not going to roll down. Let's just go with sound judgment for a second. We said that sound judgment is the capacity to assess situations and circumstance in a shrewd way. To draw sound conclusion, sound judgment, which should be a distinguishing feature in all of us. And it should be part of our personal nature. This is what Paul's saying, that you may be able to discern what is best. And maybe pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to be able to test the will of God. And so watch what he's doing here. Watch, the difference between a natural judgment and a spiritual judgment in this context is this. When you and I make a judgment or a rash judgment about someone or something, what we're doing is we are reducing somebody 
or we are incarcerating someone by our opinions. In other words, we put them in prison or we put them to one side, we discard them because we've made a judgment. It's almost it's final. But here it's not talking about making a judgment to put someone, to reduce them or put them in prison. It's helping you to sort out what the real issue is behind the issue. We do this with our children. We have to get to the bottom of things. And this is what he's saying, Paul's saying, you discern what is best. You're able to find out what is the real issue. And very often, my friends, you and I are the real issue. We are the issue. The soul is the issue, clouding spiritual judgment. So therefore, the soul will make judgments and proclamations that the spirit says, you have no right saying that. But once the spirit's in ch- back in charge, the first thing the soul has to do is to repent and get back in order. Because it knows it said the wrong things and done the wrong things. See, the conscience of God brings the mind of God. Discernment means it's the ability to obtain a sharp perception and or to judge well. Within judgment, discernment involves going past just the mere perception of something and being able to grasp and comprehend actually what is out of sync and bringing it back to order. Order is a key aspect of the soul. When the soul runs the show, everything's out of order. So, how to set your spirit over your soul? Let's have a look. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. He said, therefore, I urge you. So he's putting emphasis on this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now watch this. The first thing you have to do is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the first thing you have to do, which is holy and pleasing to God, your body is the carrier. Inside is your soul. Inside is a spirit. The spirit, soul, body. The body is the character. If the body gets sick, it informs the soul how it feels. The soul says, yeah, I I recognize the body's not feeling well today, so we'll just sit here or we'll complain or we'll lie down, we'll get rest. Now, there's good and bad in that, by the way. It's not all negative. So the body's sick. The soul says, yeah, let's go and get some help. Let's have some rest, let's get some sleep, blah, 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 blah. And then the soul says, I'm not well today. And the body says, well, we're not going anywhere. The soul's having a pity party upstairs. The soul's in charge. And the soul, when the soul starts leading the show, you can be there for months, weeks, years. It really does depend. The spirit then has to say, well, actually, I've seen the pair of you and the pair of you are not doing well let me now take control and I will walk you out the darkness and I will walk you back into health and the moment the spirit begins to speak to the soul the soul begins to get light and light is the very thing that brings nutrition and health and strength and wellness and order and peace and harmony back into our soul and as a consequence the body then begins to feel in line and he says you know what we're feeling good today so when you have soul and body alignment it's because the spirit is in charge the moment you switch the spirit off the soul and the body will fight each other so he says this you must present your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god watch this this is your spiritual act of worship now notice he didn't say anything about singing at this point So many people come into church on a Sunday 
and lift their hands up and start singing, but they've never presented their bodies as a sacrifice. Their mouth's working, but the soul is not, and the spirit are not in line. He says, you, this is your spiritual act of worship. Not his, not hers, yours. So we expect the band, we expect the, the preacher to stir your soul up to make you feel better. Nah, 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 nah. If you can't bring your body and present it as a spiritual act of worship, then what people say is not always going to make a big difference inside of you. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now watch this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is the gateway to the soul. Your mind. Watch this now. Now, be reminded, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you've done that, and only when you've done that, then, then you'll be able to test and approve, in other words, discern and make judgment. Only then will you be able to approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So there are conditions to acknowledge, to discerning what is God's perfect, pleasing will. It's when you and I are able to present ourselves before God. Bring our body, because inside the body is the soul. Inside the soul is the mind. And inside the, the spirit and the soul and the body is a, is a spirit. And the spirit must is the mind of God. So there's your natural mind and there's the mind of God, which we call the conscience of God. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry, 14, verse 12. And here I want to really bring us into the home run. 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 12. So it is with you, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts. Now you think, what has this got to do with what I'm talking about? Well, grasshopper, stay with me and I'll bring you into some understanding. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts. Try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now, right now, he's, in this context, he's talking about the church. He's not talking about you. And in order to build up the life of the church, gifts are given to the church to build the people up. Wow. For this reason, so there's always a reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Now, in this context, we are talking about speaking in tongues in a public meeting. That's what he's, that's what he's referring to here. But there's a key lesson here for you and I, that if we're observational, we can learn something that's really going to set us free and bring our soul into health. No, just stay with me. Let's pick it up at verse 14. Here's the key for what I want to sow into your heart today. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Notice here, tongue, spirit, and mind. Tongue, spirit, and mind tongue spirit and mind three different things and let's don't forget the word unfruitful now so what shall i do good question he's asking a question now i will pray with my spirit now here's the leader i will pray with my spirit and i will also pray with my mind notice the order spirit and mind, spirit 
and mind. Not my mind and my soul, my spirit and my mind. Watch this. And I will sing with my spirit. But I will also sing with my mind. So don't lose your mind. Don't switch your mind off. We need the mind, but we need the spirit. Spirit and the mind being connected together. Now watch this. I'm going to say something now that's going to, you might want to sit down and have a cup of coffee because never confuse speaking in tongues as being the same as someone speaking in the spirit or praying in the spirit. Never confuse speaking in tongues as being the same as someone praying in the spirit. You go, what? What would you just say then? I haven't got a clue what you've just said. Well, if your spirit is not engaged and your mouth is speaking... So often we think because the mouth speaks, the spirit's been engaged. It's not true. How many times do we speak without putting our mind in gear? We let the mouth speak before we activate the brain. So we can speak. Now, watch. what do I mean? I'm speaking in English. It's my natural language. I was born with English. I learn English. I can speak English. I can sing English. But there's no spirit to my natural language. Why? Because I learned it. Now, I now learn, let's just say, Farsi. Now, we pioneered a church many years ago, and I can speak aspects of Farsi. I could sing to you songs in Farsi. Why? Because I've learned the language enough to be able to sing those songs to you. So if I says to you, Cheshmani Galbam Rabuksha, Tator Rabinam, you're singing, what's he just said? I've just said, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I've just sang that. Now, I've learned that naturally. I've learned it. I've listened to it. I've observed it. Right. Now, you and I begin to speak in tongues. Now, watch this. You received it from the Spirit. Now, the language that you've now developed you know you can speak because it's in your mind. You know you can switch your tongue on and speak it. So you can be talking to the kids. You can be stood at the bus stop. You can be doing a lot of things and you can speak in tongues by your natural mind because now you've learnt it. You know your language. But it doesn't mean to say you're speaking it by the Spirit. It is a spiritual language, but being it being a spiritual language and you speaking it by the Spirit are two different things. Wow. I can speak to you in my tongue and be thinking about my tea, my food. I can be thinking about my work. In fact, when you go to pray and you start speaking in tongues like most charismatics do, your mind is thinking about a thousand things. So it tells us that though our mind is speaking, our mind is engaged and we're speaking this language, our spirit yet has not been engaged. And this is what Paul is saying. Speaking in a language and engaging your spirit so that the two become one. One is your mind is now leading, but your spirit's not following. The other one, when your spirit engages, your mind follows your spirit. And there's the difference. This is a, such a key now to get you into soul health. Your spirit must be the one leading. So, the language requires my inner spirit man. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't leave the mind behind. Don't let the mind control it. Let the spirit of your mind start the process and bring the rest of your body 
mind into alignment to what God is saying. Then you're in the spirit, you're not in the flesh. This is such a key thing. This is why we have to discern when spiritual gifts are used because flesh often gets ahead of the spirit. So I pray in tongue, but my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Well, the answer is, I'm going to pray with my spirit and my mind will follow. Don't lose your mind. Your mind is needed. Your mind is needed. Your mind needs to follow your spirit so your spirit can feed your soul. Your spirit needs, sorry, your soul needs nutrients. It needs the word of God. It needs the life of God. And it comes through your spiritual man leading. So just as you open your mouth and food comes in, your, the, the, the gateway is the spirit. So that the food coming through the spirit nourishes the soul and nourishes the spirit man. The whole of you gets infected and gets influenced and gets fruitful because of, nourished should say, gets nourished because of what enters. Wow. Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18. Now it says, And I am praying the spirit on all occasions. Now pray in the spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. So, this scripture praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Notice... It doesn't say, let's, let's look at what it doesn't say in order for us to understand what it does say. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What it doesn't say is, pray on all occasions. There's a big difference. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. It doesn't say, just pray on all occasions. The gateway is in the Spirit. Prayer, obviously we're going to pray, has to be done in the spirit because the spirit realm is where makes all the difference not the soul realm the next thing it says with all kinds of prayers and requests so there's all these different levels of prayer and there's different kinds of requests and it says keep in mind keep in mind lock it in focus keep it in mind which mind well the spirit man and the, the natural man, the, ma- the two minds need to come together. Your conscience and your natural mind need to come together. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind what God said, that all prayers and requests are meant to be prayed in the spirit. In the spirit, not just prayed. Not just a prayer, but all prayers need to be prayed in the spirit. I wish more people would instruct the body of Christ about this. People say just prayer. Let's be specific about what prayer. Prayer starts in the spirit. Prayer continues in the spirit. Prayer ends in the spirit. Always in the spirit. Now watch this. With the foremost, so with this being foremost in your mind, he says, now be alert, where? In the inner spirit, man. And always keep praying in the spirit for all the saints. So all I'm doing is I'm taking this out now and I'm rephrasing it to help you and I. So we pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We don't just pray on all occasions, we pray in the Spirit. 
We pray all kind of prayers and requests, keeping in mind that all prayers and requests are meant to be prayed in the Spirit. With this now foremost in your mind, we need to be alert, where? In the Spirit, in our inner spirit. And we must always keep praying in the Spirit for all of the saints. Okay? In other words, church, what God is saying is pray for everyone in this house. Pray for the saints. Pray for the saints. People you don't know very well. People that you have fellowship with on a, very, on a various level. He says pray for the saints. Pray for the saints. Pray for the church. Yes, when you're in your prayer time with the Lord, pray for those inside this house in the spirit. By you being conscious in your inner spirit. Then let's pick it up. In the spirit, he says, keep praying for me. Paul's saying, keep praying for me. That whenever I open my mouth, spiritual words may be given to me so that through the spirit and through me being deep in my inner spirit, I fearlessly will make, I may make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, what is he saying? Let me, let me stand in his place for a second. Let me appeal to you, the Dream Center. In the Spirit, would you please keep praying for me? Would you please keep praying for the eldership? Would you please keep praying for those who take responsibility for shepherding the flock? That whenever I and we open our mouths to you, that we may be given Strength, so that through the spirit and through you being conscious deep within your inner spirit, man, your prayer will result in us fearlessly, fearlessly making known to you the mystery of the gospel. Now, if you can pray for me and can pray for we, this house will go to a whole new level. I don't want you to pray in your emotions. I want you to pray in the spirit. And I want you to make all requests and all prayers in the spirit. And I want that your inner spirit to be mindful all time that you need to stay in the spirit and pray by the spirit. There is, he said, Paul said this, that I may make fearlessly known. I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So I want to say, there are, still, there are still things yet to be spoken here in the Dream Center. There are still many things yet to be said. There are still many things yet to be done. There is still much work to be achieved. There are still many challenges to be overcome. And every challenge needs a message. Every work needs a workforce who respond to a message. But when things have, when Paul declares, when he says this, think about this, when I may fearlessly make known, that means there are things that are strong and hard that need to be said. And he knows that people will react and respond. And many times it's you and me who's responding to the man or the person who's saying things in when they're saying things and they're making them fearlessly known to us. In other words, they are not governed by the fear 
They themselves have learned to rise above the fear, but not everyone who speaks has necessarily learned to rise above the fear. But what Paul is saying and what I'm saying to you is, I need you, Dream Center, to pray for me so I can fearlessly make known that which, needs yet to, that which has not yet been said and needs to be said. Knowing full well that you could have a reaction to some of those things that are being said. But if you're praying in the Spirit, by the Spirit, in your spirit, then you're all, God will make a way for those things that are being spoken to come into your heart and my heart. Pray in the Spirit, I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. And you know what, church? You should expect nothing less of your pastor and of your leadership to be able to stand and say those things that need to be said. Because our hearts need them. Okay, let's bring this thing to a conclusion. Go to Galatians 5.22. And here we'll bring... The plane down on the tarmac. Galatians 5.22. And you know this scripture like I know it. It said, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. See, the Spirit produces a fruit. That's why you pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Because only in the Spirit will fruit be produced. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we know the power of love. And it says, peace. You know that peace that you need in your soul? That comes from you being in the Spirit. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And watch this. And self-control. Now, against such things there is no law. If you and I are ever going to learn what's being said here, and we're going to bring our soul into soul health, then you and I must learn to discover the power of bringing our soul under self-control. This is so key for all of us. So the process to developing a self-control progressively comes to us the moment we begin to focus, in, to focus on the right things. Say that again. The process developing to developing self-control control progressively comes to us the moment we begin to focus our thinking on the right things. When we set our mind on the right path, then self-control, we start that process. Secondly, the more we focus our thinking, the more we progressively begin to learn. The more we focus our thinking the more we progressively begin to learn the ways of God. And we learn a lot about ourselves when we begin to focus our mind on the right. Thirdly, the more we learn, we become challenged to unlearn some stuff. Once we set our mind on the right path, as we begin to, to learn, we ultimately we become challenged at certain points. Then when we, we realize that there's some things that need to be learned, so the more we become challenged to unlearn some stuff, the better we are. We have to learn some new stuff, so we're challenged to let go of some old stuff. You don't keep the stuff when you first got married. You don't keep the, the things in your house you first did when you first got married. No, it takes a long time before all the presents begin to, you know, all your, all your presents you got when you first got married, the knife and forks, the cutlery set. It takes a long time before they're broken, before you replace them. But eventually you will replace. You shouldn't have the things you started with. You should have a few things, but not a lot of things. Your furniture changes, your, your carpet changes, your house changes, your car changes. But do you change? Then he says, the more we learn, the more we inwardly, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, we become, the more we learn, 
the more psychologically, emotionally, and the more spiritually we ultimately become ordered inside and realigned. I am more ordered today internally than I have been, say, for instance, two or three years ago. Why? Because the more I keep receiving, the more I realize I have to flush some things out. Truth has to come so that all truth, all lies, all misconceptions get flushed out. So that the more truth comes in, the more my body and my spirit begin to restructure and align itself to the pattern of Jesus Christ. The more we learn and become inwardly ordered, the more we gain a sense of self-control. It's a process. Your soul comes into order by process. And that process starts by your mind being set on the things of the spirit, not on the things of the flesh. So Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it that you will, so that, that then you will prosper and be successful. Now, let's just say that again. Don't let this book, so first of all, the word. Now, if you see the Bible as just as a book, you're already, you're already set on the wrong path. It's not a book. It is the very word of God to our lives. It's living and it's active. It's a book to so many people, but it's much more. It's God's way of communicating to us. God communicates through his word. That's just one of the ways. It's more than a book. So he says to Joshua, don't let this book of the Lord depart. In other words, don't lose sight of it. Don't lose track of it. Keep it focused. Keep it a priority in your life. And he says this, don't let it depart, where? From your mouth. So, life has to come into me. Then my, my mouth then is the gateway for declaring what my spirit is feeding on. Don't let it declare from your mouth. There's, there's confession. The next thing is, meditate on it. In other words, what I think, how I think. I'm going to feed on this thing. I'm going to think about it, not just on a Sunday. I'm going to think about it and give it some space. It says, I'm going to do it day, I'm going to do it night. In other words, it's going to be a big part of my life. It didn't say do it all day and all night, because you wouldn't be able to work. It said do it during the day and do it at night. Oh, there's a point. I'll do it on, at the night time so that my spirit, when I go to bed, my mind is filled with the right things. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to gravitate towards it. So therefore, night and day is covered. I'm going to do it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. In other words, I'm going to be ordered. I'm going to be led. I'm going to be self-controlled. All this requires self-control. You've got to do this. No one else is going to do it for you. No one can do this for you. And then here's the promise. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How many people want to be prosperous and successful at, by, on their, by natural means, but don't want to use this book, don't want to use their mouth, don't want to meditate this thing day and night, don't want to pray in the Spirit, don't want to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. They want to move this spiritual obligation to one side. You know that thought about present your body? They don't want to do that. They'll use their body to work and hope that their work will make them successful. And you know, that works. That works. There's millions of people who are successful. But we're talking about believers. This is not our way. This is not our pattern. And lastly, lastly, Ephesians 4, 17. And this, 
I promise we will close. Therefore, Ephesians 4, 17. Therefore, I, sorry, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. I'm reading from the Amplified Version here. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you from now on walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. In other words, I don't want you to be like this group of people over there. They are vanity in their mind. Watch. Having the understanding, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Don't be found with ignorance inside of you. That's why you must relearn and unlearn so ignorance is removed. Because of the blindness of their heart, your heart will tell you, I know enough. I don't need to relearn. I don't need to listen to him. I don't need to do this. There's a shortcut. There are no shortcuts in the spirit. There is the pathway in the spirit, but there are no shortcuts. So then he says this. Who being, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you, but you have not learned Christ. If so... That you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. This is not the best translation, but he's making a point I want to make to you. Because this translation says it this way. And verse 24, and that you put off, you put on the new man and you put on the new man. Now, if you came to ADT training, one of the first sessions we ever teach you is teach you the six stages of becoming a discipleship. And one of them is putting on the new man. You'll never follow wholeheartedly after Christ if you don't take some things off and put some things on. But who's going to, how do you know what to put off and put on? Somebody needs to teach you and train you. And that's where discipleship is. And lastly, he says this. Um, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Soul health. We've covered so much of this. Next week, I want to talk to you about EQ and IQ. I've just written a book called Stronger. And it's six core key components that every marriage and every relationship, every family and every home has and cannot live without. It's about to be released, this book. The artwork's been done. The printer will be uh, fired up soon. And uh, the book should be out in the next month, hopefully. But I want to take you in one, through one of the chapters, and it's called EQ. And that's how I feel led today to lead you down there next week. So tune in next week. And if you haven't seen any of these messages... Go back to YouTube, go onto our channel, and you can watch all these messages on soul health. I'm so glad to our team here that's been able to produce these, that they're now there on YouTube for you to watch and to listen and get this whole thing, get the process clear in your heart. But right now, just bow your heads with me, if you will. I want to pray for you through this camera. Because I know many of you are struggling in the area of your soul. And the first thing I feel compelled to tell you today is to present yourself, represent yourself back to the living God. We read at the beginning that David had a, a, had a roller coaster of emotions, and you too may have experienced this roller coaster of emotions. 
But I want, you, I want you to know that you must present yourself as a living sacrifice before God. The first place you need to do is take responsibility for how you feel. For what you feel. And if you need healing in any area, you need to ask the Lord to, to, to minister to you in that area. But right now I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice and say, Father, here I am, I surrender to you. I'm asking you, O oh God, to help me. Holy Spirit, show me how to bring health into my soul. And I believe the Lord is going to say, you're going to breathe health back into your own soul. You're going to, I'm going to teach you how to bring uh, resuscitation and health back into your own soul. There's things you must do. And as you do it, God will work with you. God isn't going to do it without you being involved. You must partner with the Holy Spirit. And God by his Spirit will do it as you take instruction from the Word and do what I've taught you today and, and the subsequent weeks. As you take hold of this Word, God Almighty will begin to breathe life and health into you to the point where health, peace Harmony and order will flood your soul. And I pray, Father, for those watching through the name of Jesus, by the name and in the name of Jesus, let this portion be uh, given to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, until we see you again, take care. God bless and remember, Jesus is Lord and God loves you. Amen.